Welcome to White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk beside me on White Shores to discuss the real meaning of life. Let's invite some spiritual thought leaders to talk about soul evolution, spiritual awakening, personal growth, angels, the possibility of an afterlife. Let's discuss whether the paranormal is normal and psychic abilities are real. Let's ponder the meaning of our dreams, our intuitions. Let's practice rituals and divination and research the science of consciousness. Let's pause and gaze at the horizon and see what magic lies beyond the material. Walking beside me today on White Shores is Dr. Julie Beischel, co-founder and director of research at the Windbridge Institute for Applied Research in Human Potential. Dr. Beischel forfeited a potentially lucrative career in the pharmaceutical industry to pursue rigorous scientific research of consciousness with psychics and mediums. I got in touch with Dr. Beischel about four years ago because I wanted to interview her for my website. And then a few years after that, she graciously agreed to write the foreword to my Amazon number one bestseller, um, Answers from Heaven, which uh, where I present the case for mediumship. So I couldn't be happier that she's agreed to, to come on White Shores today and talk about her cutting edge research into mediumship, what she's uncovering about it, and what you need to know if you're ever considering visiting a medium. I know you're going to get a lot out of today's episode, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by my brand new Dream Decoder, published by Lawrence King. The stunning deck features 60 beautifully illustrated cards designed to interpret your most common dreams. If you've ever woken up and thought, what did that dream mean, then this deck is for you. And I'm pleased to say we're giving listeners of White Shores a unique code to get 35% off the Dream Decoder. Just visit www.lawrenceking.com and enter Teresa Chung at checkout. Dr. Baishal stands as the world leader in mediumship research. Mediumship, that word, it conjures up such strong emotion, doesn't it? People either passionately believe in it or they fear it or think it's all a load of old baloney. Um, Where do you stand? Um, What are your thoughts on it? I'd love to hear. Please do get in touch with me after this interview because you're going to hear a scientist talking about her research into mediums and what she's discovered about them and whether in fact they may be in touch with the world of spirit, departed loved ones. Where do I stand on mediumship? That's a big question. Um, Up until recently, my stance was very neutral. I'm very much in favour of if people find comfort and healing from something and it harms no one and isn't too expensive, go for it. That's always been my choice. However, in my books and encyclopedias, I never actually endorsed mediumship um, because of the controversy um, and and simply said, well, if it, it's not something I'm going to cover in my books um, because I've always favoured direct communication uh, to heaven rather than having an intermediary. 
Um, this isn't to say I don't believe some people have the gift to, to talk to the other side. I mean, I was born into a family of psychics and spiritualists, so it was commonplace for me to go to demonstrations of mediumship. But I, I've never actually had that ability myself. Um, and and I've not always been 100% convinced. However, a couple of years ago, because I was getting so many letters about people who'd been to mediums and found extraordinary comfort and healing, I thought it was time to take mediumship out of the shadows and give it a more mainstream platform and, and investigate it and to find mediums who I actually believed that they might, they just might, I'm not saying they are, be tapping into something paranormal or, or afterlife. Um, um, it could be telepathy, yes. Um, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. However, I do know now that the more mediums I start talking to and the more I investigated it and look into the research, something incredible is happening and it merits investigation. So enough talk from me now. It's now time to talk to someone who is actually doing that every day of her life, researching and studying mediums and what exactly is happening and, and presenting her research to the world. I'd like to introduce Dr. Julie Beischel. After receiving her doctorate in pharmacology and toxicology from the University of Arizona, Dr. Byshaw made a dramatic shift from science to investigating mediums and psychics scientifically. And she'll explain why she made that decision, that dramatic decision in her interview. Um, she has, um, she's also a member of the Society for Scientific Exploration and a member of the Science Advisory Board of the Rhine Research Centre. She has a number of peer-reviewed articles published in scientific and academic journals, and her academic training in several scientific disciplines allows her to apply traditional scientific research methods to the study of consciousness and survival of death. She's a real trailblazer, and I couldn't be happier that she's here with us today. Welcome, Julie. Everyone who's just heard me read your biography will be immediately fascinated of that, I'm sure. A scientist investigating mediums. How did that happen? That is a, that's a good question. I get asked that a lot and I come from, my training is in, you know, I came up in a traditional scientific background and uh, the, the scientist was never of interest to anyone I talked to when I was in that field, but it's always the first question people ask me now, like how I got into this and the, the, uh, the short version is, uh, when I was in graduate school getting my PhD in pharmacology and toxicology, uh, my mom committed suicide. And a couple years later was right around that time that um, the medium John Edward um, had that show on TV crossing over. And that was the first time that I'd actually seen, I didn't know what a medium was. And that was uh, the first time that I'd seen anything about it. And it, it looks real. And the people looked genuinely moved, but I thought, you know, I'm a scientist, I'd need to check it out for myself. So I got a, I got a reading from a local medium and um, that convinced me that there was something to this and uh, deserved scientific attention. And I, Was that because she was able to pinpoint accurately what had happened to your mother without you, you not telling her? 
Correct. Yeah. And there were even things that like I didn't know that I had to check with my mom's sisters about. Um, yeah. So it um, would. Was, was there someone that you, you were recommended or was it just random? How did you find this medium? Um, it, it was, she was recommended. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and it just made you. Did it give bring you comfort that something that that hadn't before that maybe if you'd had grief counselling or anything like that, did this give you comfort in a way that some other forms of therapy hadn't or going through the grief pro- process? Um, I feel like I uh, I went through a, a natural grief process. I didn't I didn't um, I didn't go to counselling or anything, um, and. I mean, it's, it is very different, right? There, like now all that I know about how all of this works, like it, it makes sense that, um, in the, in the grief literature that, uh, in, uh, treatment papers and things, uh, in discussing treatments of grief, um, the, the sort of rule of thumb is that everybody improves in a grief study because time has passed. So if um, and a a lot of people can get through their grief just using their own um, natural resources and and their communities and their families and um, and the people around them. But in modern times, that's so much more difficult um, where the world moves so much faster and where we expect change to happen almost immediately. And uh, so what has been demonstrated in the grief literature is one thing that has been demonstrated to really improve grief. There isn't a lot of things that do is the recognition that your relationship with the person that has died continues. So it's called the continuing bonds theory and uh, spontaneous after death communication experiences have been shown to do that quite well. And then what happens during a mediumship reading, we call assisted after death communication. Like you aren't, experiencing the communication directly, but the medium is sharing what she's experiencing with you. And so it's assisted after death communication. And so what that demonstrates is that the person is not like all the way gone, right? They're clearly not in your physical life anymore, but the, um, these experiences help demonstrate that they're still in your life in a different way, no longer physical, but spiritual. And And that um, really improves people's uh, experiences of grief, that recognition. Did you continue to visit the medium uh, afterwards or is it just one one reading? Have you have you in t- since then continued to visit mediums or now is it just your passion to, to research what is going on? Yeah, that was the only mediumship reading I've ever had. So, Would you be tempted again? No, I don't think so. I think I, uh, you know, clearly my mom was mentally ill Um and we didn't have a good relationship. So I don't have any, I don't have any need to like talk to her anymore. Um, it kind of was a science based, like I look, I, you know, I saw the medium on TV and I wanted to look at it specifically and, and I did know a dead person so I could see it for myself. But I think if I didn't have a person close to me that had died, I would still want to look into it the way that I am it, this um, this full, like this full circle, we want to look at the accuracy of what the medium says, as well as their psychology, personality, um, experiences, and the social applications of mediumship. So we look at those 
that whole circle of the of mediumship in our research at the Winbridge Research Center. Obviously, this transition from scientist to to scientist researching mediums didn't happen overnight. How many years was it um, from that moment that you 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 made the change, the career change? Well, I was I was getting my PhD when she died, and I was still finishing up my dissertation when that reading took place. So it was still like another maybe year after that. And then um, I took a postdoctoral fellowship uh, at the university where I got my PhD. And then from then on, I've been uh, doing mediumship research full time. That was in 2003. So that's when you started researching it full time. And that, was that when you set up Winbridge? No, that uh, I did my postdoctoral fellowship um, at at the university. And then uh, in 2008, we started the Winbridge Institute and we did a lot of different kinds of research. And then in 2017, we moved the afterlife and mediumship research to the Winbridge Research Center, which in the U.S. is a nonprofit charity. And that's where you're you're based now. Correct. Can you please tell us about Winbridge? Um, what happens there? Who works there? How people can find out? Can you just tell us all about it? It's it's just fascinating. An institution dedicated to researching these kinds of phenomena. So my uh, my partner in in life and in science, my husband Mark Bakutzi, he and I started the Winbridge Institute in two thousand eight, and then he's the executive director now of the Winbridge Research Center. He's a he's a volunteer. And then I'm the only staff member. I'm the director of research. And it's really just the two of us. Um, we call in um, other collaborators for specific projects or, you know, to write specific papers or that sort of thing. But on a day-to-day basis, it's really just the two of us. And you're calling in mediums, um, testing, do you test psychics as well? Is it, or is it just mainly mediumship that you, you study? At the Winbridge Research Center, it's yeah. just mediums. How do you select them? How do you find them? Do they come forward willingly? <laughs> yes. Uh, how, really? Is, yeah. it, is it difficult to find them to no. test? No, people often when they meet me say, oh, I know a medium if you need any mediums and we joke like oh no we're kind of drowning in mediums like there are a lot of mediums <laughs> it's amazing isn't it because you wouldn't think that you know because you know people think it's so sort of special and unique and you're right the more i've researched it they're everywhere aren't yeah they? yeah it's a very common experience <laughs> but um so what happens in testing can you just explain to someone who's non-scientific scientific as i am how do you go about testing a medium so the medium scientific way the mediums find us um, through internet searches or, or whatnot. And uh, so we had a, a, a big email list of people interested in being tested. And then we, um, through a, a grant from a, a foundation, we uh, created a testing procedure in order to build a, a team of research mediums that we could work with in all of our experiments. So the testing that we did was specifically to create this sort of stable of mediums that we knew we could go to. They agreed to volunteer their time. They understand science. So what we did was this eight-step screening, testing, and training procedure that takes over a year to complete. And so all the mediums that contact us, then there's like a subset that go, yeah, I'm willing to do those eight steps. And then there's a subset of them that actually successfully completed it. So the eight steps, it's a lot of um, uh, 
collect us collecting data and then a lot of uh, they fill out questionnaires and they're interviewed and then the big step five is the big one where we actually test them under blinded conditions in how well they can report accurate and specific information about individual deceased people how do you can you describe blinded conditions as say for people who don't okay understand that terminology Okay, so it's the our protocol is very very complicated, but the sort of takeaway is that the situation, the environment controls for normal sensory ways that the medium could be getting the information. So in our protocol, it's just me and a medium on the telephone. There's no uh, sitter. We call the the living person wanting to hear from the deceased. We call them the sitter. So there's no sitter on the phone. So just the medium and I and uh, I asked the medium specific questions about the deceased person. What do they look like? Describe their personality. What was their cause of death and what um, are their hobbies or activities? So that by asking those questions, for example, it controls for what's called cold reading, um, where the, a, a form of cold reading is where the medium reports information that's just so general, it could apply to nearly anyone. So by asking those specific questions, that controls for that um, type of cold reading. The other piece of cold reading is that a medium can read um, physical cues from the sitter or the experimenter, but because the, no one no one is in front of the medium, she can't read any cues from anybody. So it controls for that. And then when the, when the sitter scores the reading for accuracy, they're given their own reading, which they did not hear when it took place, as well as a decoy reading that was a reading for somebody else. And they don't know which is which. So that controls for uh, what's called rater bias, where like because of your personality, you may want to give the medium the benefit of the doubt and score like almost everything that she says as accurate. Or if your personality is more skeptical, you may want to score everything she says as not accurate. So yeah. The, by giving them two, it evens out that rater bias. So the protocol, which again is tremendously complex, it controls for all these alternative explanations for where the medium could be getting her information. So all you're left with is what we call anomalous information reception. She's receiving the information from from where we don't know, but it's not through any normal sensory means. And so it also controls for fraud, right? Because she yeah. couldn't she couldn't look up the person beforehand because she doesn't have access to that. Uh, wow! Can you tell me what the success rate is? Uh, in that, that controlled laboratory mm -hmm. testing, about um, seventy five percent of the mediums uh, passed. Well, that's way tests. above chance, isn't it? That's way above chance. Well, that's a that's a statistical statement, and that gets complicated. Um, I know. Yeah, I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but for me, that sounds pretty impressive. Um, how do the mediums react when they fail <laughs> the test? <laughs> yeah, we try and be, we try and uh, make it clear to them and anybody else um, that we're. It doesn't. It doesn't really say anything about who they are as a medium. It just all we can say is you didn't achieve the you know baseline scores that we were looking for on that day for that deceased person and that sitter. That's all we can say. Like how you would do a different day with a different deceased person and a different sitter, we don't know. But that's that's all the data we had. So we have to, you know, again, it takes a year to do this procedure. So we couldn't be like testing people over and over. It was too much time and too much 
um, yeah. so resources. How many people do you test a year? How many mediums do you test a year? Well, we had that grant in order to build the team. And so we built a team of about 20 and then we stopped testing because then the grant was over. Uh, that's always the case with this kind of research, isn't it? Yes. This, uh, you know, got to change that. But if a medium passes you know, to your satisfaction, do they get a certificate? Can they say they're Windbridge certified? Yeah, we use, we, uh, they can now um, accurately claim they are a Windbridge certified research medium. That's the term that we use. Do you know, I love that because people often write to me saying, I'd like to visit a medium. What do you think? I have been cautious um, to, 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 and I'm still not entirely sure what's going on. So I always say to people, my preference is direct communication in spirit but if you want to be, visit a medium it's lovely now because i say contact places like winbridge institute find out people who are certified who's had testing um would you would you suggest that people do that or by word of mouth i mean what's what are the da- there are dangers aren't there um, oh yeah and we um at the winbridge research center we list the mediums that have successfully the the winbridge certified research mediums are listed on our website um, and we also have, we offer a lot of free educational materials. So we have a fact sheet, which are, uh, is a, a do's and don'ts list for sitters because people, I think, f- fail to realize that there are three people involved in a mediumship reading, the deceased person, yeah. the sitter, and the medium. And so the medium yeah. is only one of those people. So if it doesn't go well, there's two other people that could be responsible. And so a sitter needs to do what they can to optimize it to be a successful reading. The the honest isn't only on the medium. And so we have a fact sheet of the do's and don'ts as a sitter, what you can do. And so uh, in there, we describe briefly what, how, because we often get asked, um, how do I pick a medium? Or, and some people say, who's your best medium? And that's not a fair question mm. because mm. on a different day with a different deceased person or under different conditions, who knows? So we never like compare them to each other. And we never report individual mediums data. We also, we always um, publish the, uh, the data in, you know, a group, like the average. Um, and so what the sitter can do, what we recommend is that you, for example, go on the Winbridge Research Center uh, website, winbridge.org, and there's the list of mediums. And so we recommend that if that's the list you're going from, that you look through the list and you invite your deceased person to help you pick uh, one of the mediums that they want to talk to. And so you like their, the links to their websites are all on that page. And so you can click out to those uh, mediums and we say one may speak to you, right? You, what one may, you may feel a connection with. And so that, that is a way that you can choose a medium, but word of mouth works really well. Um, If you know someone who had a successful experience, I would caution people just because it worked for you your friend doesn't mean that that medium will work for you. It's like letting your friend order your dinner for you just because they like it doesn't mean you will. Um, so it, you, it's this idea of asking your deceased person to be part of the process and helping you pick the right uh, medium for the both of you. That's brilliant. So windbridge, windbridge.org. And there you can find a list of Winbridge approved mediums. That's great. So anyone who writes to me, that's my first port of call now. It really is. But for people who aren't living in the States, do some of these mediums do Skype readings or phone readings or are they all 
are mediums that work in person? Most of them do um, phone and, and most of them do phone readings. A few of them do Skype readings. Um, but th- I think that's another misconception that people have is that an in-person reading is somehow better, but that's not the case. All of our testing took place over the phone. A lot of the medium's readings in her general practice are over the phone. And I find that better. I find phone readings better because the medium is still a human and her left brain or her, that's the metaphor of left brain, her analytical part of her um, will try and make assessments about the sitter. And if if they can see the sitter, then that part of the brain wants to take over. But if they can't see you, they can sort of tune you out as the sitter and just listen directly to the deceased person, I find that that's a cleaner reading. That's not the case. Not everyone thinks that. Not every medium um, believes that. That's my experience. That it, it, uh, it, so it doesn't matter that the medium isn't in your country, isn't uh, in your time zone. Um, if you guys can get on the phone at the same time, then, then that it, it, that's very plausible that it will work. Well, that's revolutionary what you're saying, because I say a lot of people, the assumption is you've got to go down, track down this medium where they live in their, at the back of their garden and they have a place <laughs> where you go in. And uh, it's a lot of people, it's quite personal and it's a, they almost, uh, there is an embarrassment level as well. Some people going to visit mediums, they don't want anyone to know. So just hearing you say what I suspected that phone readings can be just as good, if not better, is, is wonderful news for people who are wanting to dip their toe in and and and, um, and see what happens with a reading, um, and and also knowing that they can go to windbridge.org. Windbridge, why the name Windbridge? <laughs> um, it's a it's a silly story, um, and that ends with the URL was available. Um, <laughs> you know, you pick a name like, oh, this is a fantastic name, and we love it, and then you go online and like, oh, that's already somebody else's organization has already named that. So we had a, some things and. Um, the the funny bit is it was at the time uh my husband was watching the the bbc television show torchwood and he really liked that name torchwood and i was like that would be fine um but no because that's already the name of something um but i liked that idea of this like compound word and so we uh we were thinking about well you know, this sort of concreteness of science um, and so bridge. And also that that's often the metaphor used for medium, that a medium serves as the bridge between the two worlds. And then wind is uh, like spirit yeah. is invisible, but very powerful. Oh, I so think it's an absolutely beautiful name. Um, that's where that came from. Do, them, do you, the mediums on your list um, charge? And if they do charge what's the range of their fees or is that something you leave to them what do you feel about mediums charging because there's this whole debate that they shouldn't charge and but then of course people have got to earn a living it's their time what are your thoughts on all that um they those mediums do charge um and i feel that's totally valid like i get paid for my job i think you get paid for your job and Mm -hmm. i think uh that mediums should get paid for their job it's very uh emotionally right it takes a lot out of them um, it's tiring and they have to still buy, they have to like, if they're, if they do have a, a physical space, they have to rent the space. They have to provide perhaps childcare, um, mm-hmm. while they do what they're doing. They have to, you know, they have to eat and have pay for shelter. So they need to, if this is what they're spending their time doing, providing this service, like any service provider, they should get, uh, compensated for their time. 
But it's within reasonable limits, isn't it? I mean, when you hear of a medium charging excessive amounts, that's a big red flag, I would I would well, think. Well, any like any um any uh service, it's what the market will bear, right? Those mm. mediums can charge that cuz people will pay that. So mm. that's if you don't want to pay that, then don't go to that medium. Um I am in the process of publishing a paper. Um I did a survey, we did a huge survey study a, a couple years ago and we just asked uh mediums because we were sort of uh extrapolating our data that we were collecting from our 20 mediums and saying they're probably representative of the american um we call them secular mediums uh mediums that don't uh do their mediumship as part of an organized religion that seems to be about 90 percent of mediums in the u.s are secular mediums so we thought well they're probably representative the winbridge mediums are probably representative of the greater um secular population, but is that true? So then we did a big survey study where we invited um, mediums from all over the country to participate and answer questions about their practices. And so I'm in the process of publishing a number of papers, but one is specifically about their their business practices. So like what percentage of them do charge and what do they charge and how long does a reading last? No one has ever collected and shared that information. So we're really excited to put that in the world. Like, here's what we know about those questions related to those uh, secular American mediums. This is very helpful because what you said is this kind of underground network of, of people, like-minded people operating under the radar. That it's, it's almost, it is got a cloak and da- dagger feel about it, the world of mediumship. And, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm glad that you're sh- shining a light on it, a healthy light. Whereas the, I think an important point is that the psychic industries uh industry (laughs) the psychic industry uh is a two billion dollar a year industry yeah that was published recently and as um people's uh disposable income becomes greater that will only grow right if you have more money that you don't need to spend on food and shelter those kind of um and again that's not just mediumship it, or just like that includes tarot readers and astrologers, and but two billion dollars a year people yeah. are spending, and that, I think that's yeah, that's probably worldwide. It's a sign of uncertain times, you know, because the world is in a bit of turmoil at the moment politically and everything, and I think people don't quite know where to find their values or mm-hmm. common ground. Yeah. So I, I think that is a sign. I did read that there was a huge surge in people visiting tarot readers, for example, in the UK. The BBC reported it, and that was fascinating because 10 years ago that wouldn't have been the case. Right. And now there's some readers, psychics, astrologers, tarot readers who are having like two-year waiting lists. Yeah. Um, um, so that, that is a real uh, you know, sign of the times, mediums too. Mm. Um, now, you, you mentioned you published papers, and I know that your papers have made waves, haven't they, in, in this in the academic scientific community. Um, and you've got a lot of publicity interest in that. Um, good for you, <laughs> but it must be tough. Um, putting out what you're putting out that this brilliant research in, in, in the, in the reaction coming from the scientific community. How do you cope with that? Um, yeah, I, Mark doesn't not allow, not that he has control over what I do and I don't do, but the rule in our house is sort of, I'm not allowed to Google myself because of all the terrible things people are saying about me. 
So that's just, you know, I'm a human being, like that's painful, that's hurtful. And so, and that takes, right, when you're, when you're insulted and uh, called a, a cheater, people, we, in, in my community of scientists, like, you know, you've won when people call you a cheater, because if your protocol is so strong, that there are no other options left for a skeptic than to go, well, you must have cheated, then you, you won, because your protocol yeah. is so strong. Um, but enough. it's not, it doesn't, it's not, it still hurts uh, to be called a cheater and, um, and, and have these terrible things said about you. So that drains a person's energy. So I just try and stay away from all that and just keep my head down and do my good work. Absolutely. I mean, I don't Google myself either, but I can reassure you, I, of course, like before, because I've known you a few years now, but before I got in touch with you, of course, I Googled you and there's a, a lot of good stuff out there. A lot of people have some amazing things to say and, and having Skype with you and interacted with you over the years, you know, you are the real deal. And I would say a scientist before a believer as well. I feel that that you're, you know, I know you say that your science is receding, but I get the sense that the truth and is more is more what you're trying to establish here than actually being proved right or wrong. Oh yeah, no, that's what a, yeah, that's what a scientist does. I was saying before, like the first question I get asked is how did you get into this, and the second question I get asked is what do you believe, and my response to that is always it is not my job to believe; it is my job to explore. Um, as a scientist, I ask questions, and then I. I follow the data and I make a conclusion based on that data. What I believe is irrelevant. But so what I can say, you know, is what the data has shown, what the data, the, the, the explanation that the data support um, best is that certain mediums are communicating with the survived consciousnesses of deceased people. Brilliant. And I suppose you're not going to tell me what your personal belief is, are you? <laughs> it re I really secret. don't have when it really, that's not how I think. It's not, it's, again, that's not my job. It's like, even I don't care what I believe because that's not what a scientist does. Um, I love that. that you put your, your science and your, your, the results speak for me. And that's what, what, what you are such an authentic lady it's brilliant but what is the end goal if you could dream of what's the end goal of the research at winbridge where where would you feel yes i'm i want to that's where i want to get with this um there are so many questions left to be asked and you know science is just a tool it's just a way to answer questions experience is is one way of knowing science is one way of knowing so there are so many questions that we can still ask um, about what makes a medium different than a non-medium. And we're and like that survey study um, we did, uh, we, it, we asked about a thousand non-mediums and about 300 mediums um, to fill out all these questionnaires. And they were demographically identical. So it was, it was over 90% women in each case. Uh, the average age was about 55, uh, over 90% white, but uh, income, education, identical. So they're 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 not like weird people that are different than non-mediums. They're it's the same population. They just have this one thing that's different about them. And we did find um, a couple other things that showed statistical differences. And like the mediums were more um, not right-handed. Um, right-handed. Yeah. Or or. Um, 
ambidextrous. So more of the mediums were not right-handed, uh, more were gay or lesbian, and yeah. um, less lived in the Midwest <laughs> of the U.S. Um, so, but that was really the only differences. And, we, and that was just mm-hmm. demographically. We, we looked at a bunch of other things, personalities, psychology. Um, I, we just published a paper um, about disease burden. So uh, mediums have a higher disease burden than non-mediums. Disease burden mean mean they're more prone to illness. Yeah, they they reported yeah. more symptoms and uh, they, like they were they'd been diagnosed with more autoimmune diseases as a as a population. Do you think that's because they're so empathetic that they're absorbing? Um, it could it could be a variety of things. Where we landed was they also score really high on um, child childhood abuse and trauma scales. And that's been demonstrated to, sh- to be correlated in any population with adult disease. Childhood trauma is correlated with adult disease. And so we think that, that it might sort of be separate from mediumship. Um, my hypothesis is that the childhood experiences cause both the disease and the mediumship. It's not the mediumship that causes the disease. It's the trauma that causes mediumship and disease so God, this is so interesting you have such an interesting <laughs> do you think there's something going on in the brain have, have you studied the brain of a medium at work um it, it's we did an eeg study and and uh we've published that eeg is not a, a a really good way to look at mediumship because mediumship we define it as the medium is experiencing communication from the deceased and then sharing that information with the living that's the process of mediumship. And that requires her to speak, usually, and uh, unless she's doing sign language. But the EEG can't collect data while the while you're talking because the, the movement of the jaw muscles um, creates artifact. So that's not a good way to look at the process of mediumship, which uh, talking is a very pivotal, you know, important primary part of the process. So um, the when we look at this as in sort of the bigger picture, um, the mediums are communicating with the survived consciousnesses of deceased people. And so that falls under the explanation of what's called non-local consciousness. So that is the theory that the brain doesn't create consciousness. Consciousness exists somewhere else and the brain funnels the, or mediates or channels the consciousness. And so when the brain dies, the self can still live on. And so if the medium is communicating with that non-local, non-physical energy, then she's probably using that piece of herself that non-local, non-physical piece. And so that's probably not even happening in the brain. That's probably external. So I know people want to um, like, oh, well, you know, do an fMRI study. Like I've designed an fMRI study, but I, I don't know what question that would get us to the bottom of. I don't know what that would tell us about the process. So we're really interested in um, – you know, I've published about uh, mechanism, schmechanism, like who cares how it works? This is happening. We've put it in the lab. It, ha- it, can, it remains happening under controlled laboratory conditions. Well, now what can we do with that? A lot of people are getting mediumship readings every day and 
reporting feeling better. We need to look at that. So that's the direction we're going. What are the applications of mediumship reading? And specifically, our focus now is in the treatment of grief. Mm. One day it would be wonderful to have scientifically approved mediums, wouldn't it? Working alongside grief counselors, doctors. Yeah, you were saying like, what's your goal? Mm. That would be my goal. Mm. That it that mm. because the medium has a job, right? Her job is to report the information she's receiving. She her job is not to help you integrate that information into your life going forward. That's what a therapist does. Yeah. And so to have them and there are like I know therapists and I know mediums who work with therapists, it is possible. And so what we what we would love to be at the Winbridge Research Center is the organization that helps bring those groups together and educate them both in how they can work together. Because then the medium can do her job really well. And then the sitter can take that experience to a therapist to help integrate. Because that's a, you know, I think that's another piece we need to talk about is when people are choosing a medium, like this isn't like a parlor trick. This isn't like, let's try this. This is like therapy. This is a huge life-changing experience. Don't walk into it like, oh, I'm just going to, what are you going to do today? I don't know. Maybe I'll get a mediumship reading. No, this is a really serious decision that, that the sitter should make. And so it's going to change your life. Whatever happens, like it, there'll be a before and an after you had this mediumship reading. And having a professional help you integrate that new self, that new experience that you've had into your life, that's going to be really helpful. Yeah, you're right. It's a big decision. And uh, I couldn't think of a, a better place to direct people, as I said, windbridge.org, to, to guide you through that decision, to find people that you can, you, you know, have been scientifically approved in to some extent. So if you are thinking of visiting a medium, please do check out windbridge.org. And, and Julie, I just can't thank you enough for the research that you do. As I said, for years, I've been writing about this. And, I, and now I, I, I just say, Windbridge. <laughs> <laughs> and it helps so much. And I, I believe you're also hopefully going to be um, um, involved in a, in a book I'm going to be doing about the science of the afterlife and researching mediums uh, later this year. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited and honored um, and, and also a bit nervous because I'm going to have to pass everything by you. <laughs> and you're a huge expert on it. You know, I can't just get away with anecdotal story after anecdotal story. Well, I, that that is that. important. Like we talked about science is one way of knowing, like, stories that's the way that you convey that's also a way of knowing is hearing about other people's experiences that's not my expertise i'm a scientist i'm an empiricist i collect data so i can report on that but i i don't have stories because of the blinding i don't ever hear the medium stories or the sitter stories because of all the blinding and nobody has access to anybody else in the protocol so that's where that's why we make a good team because you can share those stories yeah. that I don't have any access to. Absolutely. And, and, and sometimes stories speak to people in a way and get them engaged and interested to lead them into the science. Cause a lot of people sometimes do glaze over and they think, well, there's no science, but there is. Yeah. I just want to show that there is. And there are people like Dr. Julie Beischel who are, are leading the way. She's such a light, such a revolutionary um, and I'm absolutely honoured that you took the time to talk to me today. Thank you so much. And before you go, I've got just two daft questions to ask, <laughs> which I ask every guest. And the first one is, if you could go back in time 
and talk to your 16 year old self, what one piece of advice would you give? (laughs) My, what like initially popped in my head right away was like, screw boys. Like, let me be more clear. <laughs> Let me be more clear about what I mean by that. I like, that. <laughs> you could take that either In a good way. Or a bad way. Either way, you could take that either way. But that, like, um, boys are not important. Like, be yourself. You know, get your yeah. do your follow your dreams, do your work, and don't care what stupid boys think of you. That's what I would say to my sixteen-year-old self. Don't do things to impress boys. Do them things to impress yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And finally, if you could be a character or an object in Lord of the Rings, what would it be? (laughs) Oh, my. Or an object. Wow. Um, I don't know all the names. I've. That's all right. It's so funny. Some people get. Yeah, I wouldn't (laughs) want to offend anybody, but that um, that elfin queen, um, she seems like she does not give two dams i'll say for what boys think (laughs) so that seems (laughs) like a good existence yeah i can see that i can see that and thank you for indulging me in that it's just white shores of course you know is 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 the afterlife is is spirit in in lord of the rings so thank you so much julie um and um, i'm looking forward to working with you i'm so excited about that and thank you for taking your time thanks so much for having me Well, I hope that interview gave you food for thought. Um, And if you've ever been curious about mediumship and want to find out more, do check out all the links in the show notes to the Windbridge Institute um, and to other organizations which can help you find an honest medium. As as I explained before the interview, um, I'm still in two minds about mediumship, but um, the more mediums that I see who are working from the heart Um, and and touching and healing lives, the more willing I am to recommend it. And of course, a couple of years ago, I collaborated on a book for Piatkus called Answers from Heaven with a medium that I found, um, who I found very authentic and honest, hence the title Honest Medium. And it's um, doing incredibly well, that book. So do check it out. And I'm going to give the following episode, I'm going to hand over to two practitioners, one of whom will be Claire Broad, Um, to talk about her life as a medium and her interview will be followed by Karen A. Dalman who is the world expert in Ouija board um, communicating with the other side using a Ouija board she lectures all over the world and is regarded as the world expert on it so do do um, tune into those when um, uh, when when they're released Um, I know that you're going to find a lot of the information in there absolutely fascinating. I'm just going to allow them to explain who they are and what they do. However, I'm still at this point in my uh, life still going to return to my favoured position, which is direct communication from heaven. If you feel you need a medium, if you really want that comfort, please, please be sure to check that medium out before. There are too many frauds out there and it's usually word of mouth or or from the websites that I've recommended in the interview Um, because if you say well I don't ever experience afterlife contact I'm going to ask you to think again you do you just haven't been paying attention to it there are two ways I'm going to explain to you now that um, 
departed loved ones can reach out to you and which you've probably dismissed. The first one is through your dreams. If you've loved and lost someone but don't feel a sense of connection, however you had dreams about them, that is an afterlife sign. They are trying to reach you and comfort you through your unconscious, through your dreams. I get many, many, many stories of, from people sent to me from people who have had incredibly comforting dreams and they've woken up the next day almost feeling as if they've spent time with their departed loved ones. And you have, you have. I've had dreams about my departed mother like that that have given me such strength and hope. And there's a hallmark of these kind of dreams. Dreams of departed loved ones tend to feel quite realistic and um, that there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And they tend to be in realistic settings like the departed loved one will appear in your bedroom or you'll have a chat as you did in, in everyday life. It will feel incredibly powerful. And when you wake up, you just won't forget that dream. It will linger with you. Stay with that dream because it is a subtle way for departed loved ones to reach out to you. I'm just going to read you um, a sample story that I was sent um, by a lady called Rachel. I love her story, but I love every single story that's sent to me. I simply choose ones at random. They're all glorious. But hopefully this will give you an idea of a kind of um, uh, night visitation or night vision, of I call, as I call them. Teresa, I lost my mum four weeks ago to cancer. Although we knew she was poorly, we didn't realise how bad she was and we lost her quite quickly. I'm comforted by the fact that I was there when she passed away, but it was not in the nicest way and I'm haunted by the last few minutes of her life. She suffered. I searched for answers after her death, but finally resigned myself to the fact that I would never, ever find them, since the only person that could do so was Mum and she'd gone. My afterlife experience was a dream, but it was so much more than a dream. It was so real and intense and something I will never, ever forget. In my dream, I took a seat in the park. I was aware of someone or something behind my right shoulder. I saw a shadowy face and knew immediately that this was mum. I could hear her voice as clearly as if we were having a conversation. She touched my cheek and I felt it. She told me she had not been in any pain when she passed away and that I was not to worry anymore. She told me she loved me, we held hands, and I can still feel that today. She had a bright light behind her, Teresa, and she asked me if she could go, if I could let her go. I told her I wasn't ready to let her go and begged her to stay a while longer. She kissed my cheek and told me she would stay a while. At that point, I woke up, sobbing my heart out. I felt as if I had just seen and spoken to my mum in spirit. I knew she hadn't crossed. Me asking her to stay was holding her back. I do feel a little guilty about this, as now I feel she hasn't been able to cross over and is staying here for me. But at the same time, I have found such comfort in that dream. I now have to find a way to let mum go and be completely at peace. And I think writing to you is the best starting point. Indeed, as I write, I feel a weight has been lifted, that I'm able to share this experience and not be laughed at. I feel my words and every one of them brings me back to that moment when mum and I shared something so priceless 
in our dreams. So listen to your dreams. If you're grieving a departed loved one, the chances are they might well appear there. And studies have actually shown that in 85% of cases, people who dream of departed loved ones are able to cope better with their grief. Another way, as well as dreams, that departed loved ones can make their presence felt directly is through your feelings. And this is called clairsentience. It's perhaps the most ignored and neglected channel for afterlife communication because many of us suppress or deny our emotions instead of noticing, understanding and working through them. It is highly likely that you have already felt heaven call your name through your heart, but you simply haven't recognised it as such a calling at the time. Your homework this week, as well as paying attention to your dreams, which I hope you do after every episode of this podcast, is to start noticing and observing your feelings more. Do any of the following sound familiar? If they do, please send me a message on my socials or email me at angeltalk710 at aol.com. Let me know. Have you ever had the distinct feeling someone is standing or sitting behind you, but when you turn around, there is no one there? Do you feel a strong sense of familiarity and the presence of a departed loved one around you for no apparent reason? On occasion, could you have sworn someone or something invisible touched your cheek, stroked your hair, held your hand, hugged you or gently pressed your forehead? Have you felt a cool breeze for no reason? Have you smelled certain familiar scents that have no recognisable origin, for example, perfume, flowers, lavender or vanilla? Have you experienced a tingling sensation on your body or head or felt shivers down your spine, again for no reason? Or has there been a tingly feeling in your stomach? Sometimes when you meet someone, do you feel elated or drained for no reason? The moods of other people, especially those closest to you, do they influence you greatly? Do you have an uncanny ability to feel the atmosphere of a room you walk into? Do you sometimes appear to know how another person feels without them having to tell you? If if that sounds like you, the chances are that you are clairsentient and that departed loved ones are going to speak to you through those subtle senses and emotions. Do you ever feel unexpected surges of joy and comfort for no reason and it feels like drinking a warm cup of hot chocolate on a winter's day? If that's the case, the chances are departed loved one is close by. Is spending time with animals or communing with nature something you have to do to feed your soul? If you've ever felt abandoned and in crisis, but then a feeling of warmth engulfs you and gives you the strength to move forward or hopeless and directionless, but then you were suddenly filled with a clear sense of purpose and meaning, again, the chances are this is spirit or heaven talking to your heart to let you know that you are never alone. The uniting theme in all these experiences is they're often experiences we don't pay enough attention to. We dismiss as just one of those things. It's not. Um, And the united theme behind them all is that none of these experiences are alarming or frightening. They will feel soothing and warm. So if you aren't sure if heaven is talking to you through your feelings or your dream, If it's soothing and warm and uplifting and positive, that is your uh, criteria. 
that is your call from heaven. I truly believe that whenever you think of a departed loved one, whenever you dream about them, they are close by you. They are alive within you and all around you at every moment. If at times they feel far away, just close your eyes and remember them when they were at their most happy. Feel their love for you and let your love for them give them wings in the world of spirit. I do believe that direct communication to heaven is the perfect path. That's my personal opinion though. And as I said, however, some people do want to visit an intermediary, a psychic or a medium to give them some guidance. And you're more than welcome to do that. But again, check your sources and make sure the person you are visiting is someone who is authentic and it's a vocation and it comes from the heart. And the show notes will guide you to, to places where you can find people like that. And don't forget to tune into my next episode where I talk to two ladies with enormous hearts and great spiritual minds, Claire Broad and Karen A. Dolman. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And please join me again next week when we will walk together once more on White Shores. And get in touch with me too at my angeltalk710 at aol.com email. Yes, I am still on AOL, but I have evolved and moved with the times too. Um, And you can find me on Teresa Chung Author Facebook and Instagram. Um, Please do message me and offer your feedback and suggestions for the show because I want it to be um, a podcast that brings you comfort, hope, joy and inspiration. If you've enjoyed the music on this podcast, it's from Clown Ri, that's C-L-U-A-I-N-R-I. And you can find out about them at www.clownri.com. The music's from an album called From Lips of Angels, available on iTunes. And some of the tracks on that album were inspired by one of my books, An Angel Changed My Life.